0: If you're a guest, again, just welcome to you. We're glad you chose to worship with us today. But we've been in a series this summer called The Anatomy of a Healthy Home. And one doesn't have to look very far to realize that homes are struggling, marriages are struggling, families are struggling. When you look at the number of kids that are walking away from the church when they leave home, uh, it's pretty obvious. But Satan wants... To hurt the home there's a battle going on and recognize this when when the home is hurting it actually impacts the church negatively as well see there's kind of this relationship when the healthy homes are a part of the church when families within the churches are healthy it helps a church But that in turn creates an environment where homes can become more healthy. So there's kind of this symbiotic relationship actually that takes place. But here's one of the struggles in this series that I've been pushing. The issue is, what is the definition of a healthy home? You think of all of the, even just that home. There's blended families, single-parent homes. There's, you know, Deanna and I, just the two adults at homes. There's singles, you know, all over the place. That home is kind of a nebulous word, but what does it mean to be healthy? When we take the scriptures and press it up onto that word home, what does the scriptures teach us? What does it imply that we're supposed to be about? And I'm convinced this, though. One of the pieces that I think that the generations have missed is that we must begin to connect the word home with the word disciple-making. The home must be about making disciples. Matter of fact, even, for example, marriages, when you think of marriages, marriages are supposed to be filled with grace and love where it sings to the world that God is real. And they're to be used in making disciples. A marriage just isn't about themselves. It's about what God wants to do in that marriage for somebody else. Now, one of the challenges, you know, in my growing up years, is that I don't think my mom and dad, I don't remember them even talking about the idea of disciple-making or for us even to make disciples. And I grew up in an evangelical free church just like this. And I think looking back, here's the summary. They wanted nice Christian kids that were morally obedient to God. And I go, is that what we're settling for in our definitions? So I think this, we need a fresh vision of what it means to be a healthy home. And recognize something here is that healthy homes impact generationally. As a church, we are called to impact the generations, not just my own, I'm older, but the young and the younger and, and to the third and the fourth generation. Matter of fact, let me show you a passage from Psalm 78. How David writes this, look at this, my people, this is God's chosen people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Do you see the generations there? Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. See, the generational ministries, multi-generationals, is vital to the church and it, it's vital to healthy homes. But recognize in that passage, by the way, though, this also applies if you're single or if you don't have children. He's speaking to the whole nation of Israel. That wasn't just families. It implies so much more. It's so recognize, even as we're in this series about the home, that this is also about discipleship that goes well beyond the family. But here's a nuance I've got to point out here. When you compare the Old Testament talking about the generations in the home and you compare the New Testament, there is some language differences. And If you look at Deuteronomy 6 or the, even the passage that we read, we, it, it seems to imply that it's you know, passing one's faith down. But it really doesn't describe in detail what that means. And you jump to the New Testament, and Jesus begins to give some clarity in terms of what the faith, passing that generational faith down actually means. And he introduces the words disciple, Disciple disciple-making, discipler. And folks, that's where the family's got to go. It is incorporate that New Testament language into the family. We want, as a goal, and I've been pushing at this, when you think of my kids having already left home, but my son is, you know, have 10th graders next year, what does he need to have for, as a vision for them? It's this, as they leave home, that they are disciplers, that they are disciple makers. Not just nice Christian kids who are walking with the Lord. We need to get rid of that phrase. But two weeks ago, I tried to begin to drill down and give you a practical tool. And it's a tool that I was introduced to years ago, and I've been using it kind of on, on a regular basis as I look at people and look at discipleship. And I want to put that on the screen. It's really three lenses as we look to the family, as we look to disciple-making. And to fill in that blank for you for the notes, and this is from two weeks ago, Healthy Homes, where the goal is for our children to become disciplers, are intentional about the head, the heart, and today, the hands. Two weeks ago, the head is about the things that we need to learn, that we need to teach our children, the truths of the Scripture. Scripture is central to this issue. We cannot not have it. See, the Scriptures are important. They need to know who God is, the things about God, what is truth, what is wrong, right, what is wrong, the story of God, and in in it's their understanding. But then we talked about the issue of the heart. The heart is that place where our motives come out of. Why we do what we do. Do we catch that? And the heart needs to change. It becomes that, the driving center of the way we live life. But today is about the hands. And let me fill in that blank when I to, to kind of go after this issue for today. For those in you know if you're following along in the notes, number three. Healthy homes are intentional about the hands through developing spiritual skills, spiritual wisdom, and spiritual serving. See, we can fill the mind with truth. We can know theology, we can memorize scripture, but unless it is applied, it's useless. See, when truth is never put into action, people stay trapped where they're at spiritually speaking. They can't grow. Issues still come cropping up all the time. So recognize something here today, that spiritual skills that are involved are the practical things that we are to learn and develop in our lives, pass them on to our children, but it makes a difference even generationally. But catch this, it's not earthly wisdom, it's not the type of skill and wisdom that I I went to this Christian school called St. Cloud State University, okay? Not so Christian, but I learned some skills about teaching, about education. My undergrad was in education. But did it connect it to the spiritual world? Nope. Not at all. So this is talking about a different nuance than just normal wisdom and normal skill. But I want to give you an illustration just to go to, how practical is this? Um, there was a guy in our college ministry down in Baxter when I was heading up the college ministry there. And he came in and he goes, Ken, would you be willing to meet with my parents? They didn't attend the church and they lived quite a ways east of Brainerd. And they came in and I began asking some questions. Okay, why do you want to meet? And, and, and here's a couple that every t- time they had to have a conversation of substance they would start going at it. They'd begin arguing. And as I I did some assessments and some stuff for them and talking to them and realizing that they really wanted to love each other, they really were for each other in that sense. But every time a conversation would occur where they needed to go a little deeper, they were going after each other. So here's what I did. I turned their chairs toward each other And I had them begin to discuss one of the topics that they couldn't talk about. It was kind of off-limits. And within about 10 minutes, all of a sudden, you could just feel in their voices the emotions were rising. And they were starting to have a little bit of a fight in front of me. Now, here's an observation pretty quickly that came as I was listening to this couple. They were violating a key biblical passage on relationships. Let me show you the passage. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Look at this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It was clear they had no spiritual skill in choosing right words that could build up. Proverbs talks about words that give life and death. And over and over again, the way they were speaking, and here's just a hint of what was going on, is that she was talking... She would always speak and kind of toward him in conclusions, and it was a commentary on his character. Now, let me try to illustrate how that works. And and the illustration does not fit them, okay? Understand that. But it's kind of one that I've seen it out there. So a wife talking to her husband says this, It is so frustrating. You always leave the toilet seat up. Guys, want to raise your hands? Okay. It's a way for her to say, Would you please put down the toilet seat? But the husband hears the word always. And the always is a trigger word. Because he thinks back to yesterday when he was certain that he put the toilet seat down. And all of a sudden, what he goes, that's not true. And he felt it like it was a, an attack on his character because you always do that. And he goes, no. And all of a sudden, they go after. We hear that, and all of a sudden, it doesn't work. But by choosing the word always... The other person, it can lead to a trigger of an emotional response. But that's a minor issue. The toilet seat is a minor issue. Think about conversations of substance about parenting, about marriage, about frustrations, about intimacy, about sex. You understand, if the pattern of our language is like that, in those deeper conversations, there's always going to be a frustration. And it's, understand this, we need to learn to use the skills, spiritual skills, even in choosing our words. See, we must not minimize biblical wisdom and relational skills because it works out in everyday life. It makes a difference in our marriages. It makes a difference in our parenting, the way that we talk to our kids. See, the hands is about living and learning in a way that's steeped in wisdom and understanding and a skill to actually pull it off. Parents, spouses, we must grow in this area in multiple ways. And realize not every skill comes naturally. Every one of us has things to work on in life. Let me push it farther though. I took piano lessons for one year. Okay, my mom and dad, I don't know if they were trying to bring the musical artist out within me, but not, it didn't really work, okay? And Somewhere in that third to fourth grade, they, they made me take piano lessons. Now, the good news coming out of this is that Dan and I, years after we were actually married, we were thinking back and talking about our childhood years and realized that she had also had taken piano lessons from the same lady. Okay, And the same lady, well, it all of a sudden it turns out we realized that we were actually at the same piano recital together. Uh, in third or fourth grade and I'm convinced that's when she began to love me the, 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 okay, <laughs> or felt sorry for me one or the other but practicing the piano for me developing that skill I didn't enjoy it matter of fact there was more important skills to work on kickball wiffle ball basketball war Folks, it's fair to say that my level of skill in the piano world, I don't even would say it it goes to one year. You know, my dad loved to play the mandolin. He was kind of the musical one in the family. And, And he was the one, I think, that was pushing us to do that. But do you catch the importance of hands there? If we want to influence somebody else spiritually, realize that our skill level also needs to go up in the spiritual world and it needs to be intentional. You know, my granddaughter is into gymnastics. She just finished ninth grade. Again, was Andy's daughter. They live in Texas. In Texas, they don't have much high school gymnastics, so almost everything is on a club level. And it was an interesting year for her because she, in her age division, she finished first on the beam in Texas. She had a 9.55 on the beam, and if she would have done that in Minnesota, she would have been on varsity this year if she would have stayed in Brainerd, but she would have finished in the top 10 at state. But do you know how many hours it took for her to learn a flip off a four-inch beam four feet off the ground and land it and stick it? Hour after hour to make that happen. We're a hockey town. How many hours does it take to have a child, a girl or a boy, learn to stop, start, go backward, forward, and then you talk about shooting the puck where they can hit the corners in the net? How much intentional practice does that take? My daughter did about 10 to 12 years of piano. Practice all the time. See, if we don't think that the word intentional is connected to even skill development, we are fooling ourselves. See, we want our children, we look at their activities, and we want them at the highest level of skill that they can attain. And I get that. But can I be perfectly blunt here with everybody? Parents push so hard to hone the skills in their children of the activities, hockey, dance, reading, piano, target shooting, basketball. And then youth group is optional. And kids rock is optional. Sunday school is, yeah, if it's convenient. See, something is wrong with that picture when it comes to intentional. And I think it has a profound impact on our families. For the spiritual world of children, it's become optional. Why? Because it's become optional for adults. You know, a couple weeks ago, you heard my son preach. And he, uh, I gave him the topic, okay, just so you know that. And, but it opened a door for some conversations that he and I had a chance to have in terms of their parenting. Okay, it was one of those opportunities for me. And as he, he made a statement to me, and on the inside, I didn't say it verbally. I'm going, yes, you know, as a as a father, I'm I'm just saying, yeah. And and here's the statement that he made to me. He said, "They are limiting what the kids do on Saturday night." Now, next year will be 10th grade to 2nd grade. He's limiting what they do so that they will be intellectually and emotionally ready for Sunday morning as they sit into that sermon and listen to it. Wisdom, skill. As parents, we've got to go farther. As disciplers, we've got to go farther. Because we're called to infuse skill and spiritual skill and wisdom into the life of our children. It's so vital. And that it starts, though, with us as parents. Look at Psalm 78, verse 72. Now, this is David as a king speaking how he was ruling the nation here with upright heart, the character there. He shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. See, this verse deeply applies to a home. With an upright heart for us, with with skill, we shepherd our children. And we develop the spiritual skills that leads to greater fruitfulness in their lives. Now, does this skill come naturally? I go, is it just all about talent? And I go, I don't think so. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question for you that are parents. Is there any parents here today where you would say, I'm just a naturally gifted parent? Okay? We get to about two weeks into it, and you go, now what do we do? Let me ask you another question. Is there anybody here where you consider yourself a naturally gifted discipler? You see the challenge. Somehow we come to parenting thinking, anybody can do it. Now, there's some really good news. I've got to just stop and go down this alley. Recognize this. The Holy Spirit is there for us. The Holy Spirit is the one that needs to teach us and reveal the things that we need to learn as parents, as disciplers. And I believe this. I I think as David looked, okay, he, he goes, gets his job as the leader of a nation at a young age. I'm convinced the Holy Spirit was walking and he was learning and honing his leadership skills, his spiritual leadership skills as he led this nation. But let me give you another example that parents must become diligent about. If, we are gonna, if the goal is to say, I want my child to become a discipler, to be making disciples, there's one issue that I go, parents, we've got to help our children develop this issue, this skill. And it's this, we need to help them develop the skill of sharing the gospel giving the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I, I go, where did I learn it from? And here's the deal, it wasn't from my mom and dad. It wasn't from my confirmation class. It wasn't even from my youth group. I really had no clue how to do it until somewhere around 25 when Deanna and I got into a high school ministry where we were volunteers, that a pastor comes alongside of all of the volunteers. And I was working with uh, senior high students at the time. And what he's, he did is he did a study and a training, developing even skill for all of us. And this would have been ninth grade to 12th grade. And here's what he did. He had us memorize 37 different verses about the issue of sharing your faith. Verses on the need for salvation that dealt with sin. So a student could open up the Bible with another student and look at this, read this verse. For the wages of sin is death. And then it was the provision of salvation is that God sent a son as a sacrifice. We'd ha- we could open up and have those verses ready or even just tell our friends that. And then it was the acceptance of salvation, that which our response and how we respond to a God who loves and who will save us. And I didn't learn that until I was 25. And, and the goal of that was we were going to have an evangelistic water ski camp. And we took about 100 kids back up on Dorshak Reservoir in Idaho. And when the night came to share the gospel to that group, lots of unbelievers at that camp, And about 10 kids accepted Christ into their life that night. And every one of them was led by a high school student. It wasn't just the person up front. The kids were going off with their friends saying, here's how you can have a relationship with Christ. That is a spiritual skill. That is a spiritual skill. You know, when I was doing high school ministry, talking to parents about this issue, some of them actually kind of roll their eyes and go, oh, why do we got to do that? And yet I forced my daughter to practice because we were paying for piano lessons. Do you understand the dilemma? Wisdom, spiritual wisdom, spiritual skills have got to be developed in our children. Let me show you kind of a a, a passage that just cuts to the chase. Proverbs chapter four. Look at how this, when it it comes to the wisdom that we need, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect You love her and she will watch over you. Look at verse seven. This is so cool. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) I like that. Though it will cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her. You notice that it costs something? And she will exalt you, embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen to my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along a straight path. Things happen in the right way as we learn wisdom. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. Results of wisdom there. When you run, you will not stumble. More results. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. We can never be done learning and growing in spiritual wisdom and godly skill development. It's why parents, we need to teach our kids to think biblically because it's in those wisdom terms. We're called to be teachable. We're called to be learners as parents. It never stops. You know, I've got to give you an illustration because one of the regrets, have I done this perfectly? And the answer is absolutely not. You know, for a number of years, years ago, I started working with marriages. And one of the types of marriages I ended up working with is those that would have an affair. And it was interesting because about two years, two, three years after I started working with this kind of a marriage, I I finally came to a point where, you know what, I probably better read a book on this. Because the way I was dealing with the couples... I hate to say this, I was kind of using cliches, just forgive and forget kind of attitude. I had no biblical understanding of what it means to rebuild trust. And I read this book, all of a sudden I get into this book, and my soul just sinks and I go, oh, I had been telling them things that were wrong for two, three years, and there was no way to go back and fix it. Folks, that is the call in our lives, to be learners, to be honing our skills as a parent, honing our skills for disciple-making beyond even our kids. See, we're, we're supposed to be learning skills about spiritual leadership. If you're a teacher, learning skills about teaching in the Sunday school, in terms of helping even all over the church, there's skills to be learned that we must grow in. Even grandparents, some of you are grandparents here today. Do we really believe that grandparenting is just natural? I, I look at my grandma, two of the I really didn't know my grand my, my grandfather, both of them died when I was really young. But one grandma, I didn't want to go to her house. She had no skill to be a grandma. She didn't. Do we learn it? The boarders are working in this area. We want to develop more of a ministry for grandparents to learn skills. How do we impact our kids? You know, one of the things that Deanna and I are doing is learning to text our grandchildren, asking for prayer requests, encouraging them. But let me show you one more aspect that we need to dig at beyond skills and wisdom, there's this issue that I said of serving and, and I want to show you a text, John chapter 13. Now the context of this is in his upper room. This is the the night before he's going to the cross. It's the last supper and if I, I think this if we knew that we only had a day or two to live, I'm convinced that the words that we chose we would choose very important words i think this is such an important passage look at john chapter 13 verse uh, two during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of judas iscariot simon's son to betray him jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from god and was going back to god rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments when He had washed their feet and put His outer garments and resumed His place, He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call Me Teacher and Lord, and you are right, so I am. And if then you are Teacher and Lord have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus said, Serve them. He's saying serving is important. Serving is about that which we do. Figuratively, it's the hands part of it. But we need to understand the depth, even of this passage. Recognize in that day, they didn't have the tar paths and the sidewalks like we do. When it rained, it was muddy. When it was dry, it was dusty. But beyond that, recognize that the roads that they walked on were the same roads that the cattle would travel on, that the horses would be ridden on, that the donkeys and the oxen would go on. And if you understand what happens when they're walking along, you know what they're leaving behind. So as they're walking, people's feet are getting full of the stuff, the dung. And Jesus gets down and he begins to wash these smelly, these ugly, these incredibly dirty feet. Now, here's in this passage, you gotta point there's point out that there's two meanings, key meanings to the text when you look at interpreting this passage. The one of them is this look at the how God humbled himself. It's about the humility of God being willing to stoop down and humble himself as the God of this universe, who created Jesus, who created the universe, he washed. It's the humility. But here's the deal. There's a second meaning which I think is the primary meaning of this text. And why do I say that? It's because of verse 14 and 15. And let me just put those on the screen just by themselves. It's about serving Verse 14, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus served his disciples with his hands literally. But you got to catch something. Serving for his disciples was not optional now. Do it. Folks, the phrase, you ought to serve. He wasn't trying to guilt them. He was just saying this, a disciple of me does it as a fact. And folks, this is a critical issue in the health of the home and even in the health of a church. See, serving invites us to do what? Actually, it invites us to be other-centered. Not the navel gaze. But catch this, serving actually reveals our hearts. Our attitude towards serving actually shows levels of where we're at in terms of our selfishness. Let me give you the key question. I put it in your notes this way for parents. What are we doing to infuse into our children the character quality of serving? Parents, do your children see you have a lifestyle of serving others? The kingdom, the bride of Christ, the church. Now, you notice I chose a word, lifestyle. Because the temptation is this, we look, I ought to, we hear that, and and then we think, okay, I'm going to go serve somewhere, but I'm going to check off that box. Now I've done it. I'm good to go. I've served. But understand, that's not the heart of Jesus here. It's to become a way of life as a disciple, as a disciple-maker. And you've got to catch this, serving here is not just about serving our family. He's not talking to family here. He's talking to people, the disciples who will build the church. And it's become a way of life, seeing the needs of people and responding. Jesus saw the dirty feet and he jumped in and he washed them. See, parents, would our children say that we're looking to serve or to be served when it comes to the church and the kingdom of God? See, the issue of hands is about seeing the needs of people that are all around us. See, Jesus saw them even with dung on their feet. He washed those feet. We have needs. We have opportunities to serve within the body of Christ. We have needs in the nursery to help for, with child care. If Jesus were to go in and he goes to our welcome center and he sees all the sign-ups and maybe one of them's there, I don't know if it's there, is we need help in the nursery. Would he say something like this? I don't do babies. I don't think so. He was washing their feet with poo on it. Now, Parents, this serving issue is critical for the development of our children. Now, be careful here because I think at times we think that serving equals discipleship. That's not true. Serving comes under it, but it doesn't equal. It's a part of it. It's part of the development of a disciple. But see, here's where I look back, and for whatever reason, I expected my kids to serve at church in the youth group I expected them to serve their peers now Deanna and I had to demonstrate it otherwise it'd be hypocrisy but serving understand is a long-term perspective of development spiritual development in our kids you know we teach our kids to be responsible at home Clean up the room, clean up after them, do this, learn to do this. Why? Because we know when they leave home, they're called to be, have skills to grow up and leave the nest at some point. At 30 or 40, maybe, I don't know. But you understand, serving is a long-term development piece that's teaching our kids to be other-centered. Why? Because it gives them opportunities and it gives us opportunities To look up around and go, where are the needs? See, this passage is profoundly practical. We ought to be doing this if we are a disciple of Christ. Do you realize that we have a God who is a servant? Do we know that? That he serves us every day. He sees our needs And he responds. And folks, as we begin to fall in love with Christ, recognize that why we even serve begins to change in a positive and even a a farther direction of a better motive. Matter of fact, I want to show you, maybe it's a little bit of a mirror for us. When it comes to serving, I want to put it on the screen here. Because here's often the pattern. And oftentimes we have to go through with it, so don't view it as negative. But oftentimes, you know, I tell my kids, "You got to, you got to do this. You got to help." And that first response, "Do I have to?" Anybody heard that from our kids or adults? Don't we admit that? But then it can move as as God works in our hearts. Then it's, "I, I I should do this. It's an act of obedience. But then it needs to go to this. It's a privilege to serve. And it can even be enjoyable. But then as we grow in Christ, as we fall in love with Christ, it can move to this, where the the service that we give is literally an act of worship. I'm giving this to you, God. We serve because it's worshiping God and serving but then we can even go to that last one where all of a sudden we begin to serve and it's a delight and we serve out of this attitude that says man god loves me so much and I am just I just want because I love him I want to give to him it's worship it's duty everything included but it's delight See if you look at that as a mirror how are we doing in our serving parents the serving issue is a long-term thing development issue with our children we push them we force them to practice piano but we never would push them to serve You, you catch the contradiction i had to stop the head what as we look at our children parents what do they need as we look at another disciple another person who needs to come farther to jesus we look at that person and go what do they need to learn what do our kids need to learn the heart what can we do to stir the heart can we make help them and connect with them and love them so well that we're helping them have a heart-to-heart bond with jesus with god Can we look and and love them so much that their heart begins to change? But then can we come alongside of them and begin to teach them wisdom, spiritual wisdom, spiritual skills, where all of a sudden they're able to share the gospel. They turn around. They begin to serve. They see the needs of people. The head, the heart, the hands. A simple model for discipleship and for looking at our kids and saying, where do we go with them? I challenge you this week, as you walk, as you go to work, as you go through life, as you look at your children, head, heart, hands. Let's stand and pray.